Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds. Healthcare is one of the most interesting and fast-changing industries on the planet right now, and especially when it comes to digital. I'm actually in London today. Uh, I'm at the headquarters of GSK, one of the world's uh, top pharmaceutical companies, and I'm sitting down with Adam Rayburn James. Um, and Adam, you, you look after all of the uh, IT and infrastructure here at GSK, is that right? That's right, I do, yep. Um, and you've been doing it for quite some time. When we were talking downstairs, you said you've actually been here for 27 years, which, which must be something of a record. Uh, not around here. Uh, no, there's, there's a few people around who've been here a lot longer than me. But uh, as I said, as I said downstairs, each time I came to think about leaving, GSK offered me some more money and something exciting to do, so I stayed. That's clearly a moral hazard. <laughs> they, they just encourage you to try and leave more often. Oh, I've, I've been very lucky. I've had a great career at GSK. <laughs> I guess over the course of your career, you must have seen a, not only a lot of transformations in technology, but a lot of changes in the way that GSK thinks about the the role of technology and in, in the role of drugs, drug discovery and, and managing the business. Um, what is the big push at the moment around digital transformation? Um, so just going back to your point about seeing lots of change, I, I, making a speech about someone who resigned a few weeks ago who had been for 25 years. Uh, he and I joined about the same time and in those days there was no internet, there was no windows, there were no mobile PCs. So what did I so have to do? You weren't telling people not so, to surf the internet. So that's where we started. We started by implementing Windows. That was that were my first jobs here. Um, so things have changed a lot in 25 years. There were no mobile phones. So yeah, so the world has changed a lot. I think that where, where, where GSK is at the moment is we see the opportunities that this, this culmination of technologies is bringing. You know, there's a certain set of technologies that are giving opportunities and we're seeing businesses embrace those and change their business model and GSK wants in on that right. and so we're proactively trying to shift our agenda across the whole company to be more digital um, and I, I know there's the definition of digital is vague and different people see it different ways but for us it's about you know using these new technologies to, to drive a different business process. And what's really extraordinary is that the sort of the sets of issues that companies like GSK are facing are not really alone just for healthcare. They're just as relevant in transportation, manufacturing, retail, and in fact, I was reading recently that you're, you've got an incoming uh, CDO who's actually was a former CIO at Walmart. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Karen Antorell, she's joining us in uh, about three weeks' time, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and we haven't met her yet, so we don't know much about her. But yeah, that's that's a manifestation of this this change. We're deliberately trying to bring in someone who's done it. Who's, who's got that experience, and, and from a customer perspective, particularly. So, when you're looking specifically at the digital agenda that you're planning at the moment, what, what are some of the big areas of thought and investment that you're thinking? Well, so the, the, there's a couple of ways of answering that. I mean, GSK is a uh, a company that has a bit of everything. We have an R and D function, and they have a certain set, set of needs, and we can talk about those. We've got a manufacturing function. We've got logistics. We've got sales and marketing. So we have a bit of everything. And so in, you could argue we've got um, most problems in the business that most businesses have got somewhere. In, um, in sales and marketing, we're looking at analytics. We're looking at big data, uh, you know, trying to get closer to our customers. And we're leveraging the mobile world a lot, lot more. In manufacturing, it's all about enabling our manufacturing processes to be a more, more efficient, to be safer, to be more reliable using sensors and IoT and data. In research, it's about 
doing more research in silicon and a lot less in the site in the labs in the wet labs right. um, so more electronics more electronics research and that's getting going to get bigger and bigger I think we're we're going to invest a lot in hardware in in, uh, in R&D in the next few years uh, and, and then you know to look at the problems from the other end there are kind of five or six technologies that other people are looking at you've got mobile you've got AI you've got big data you've got IOT um, and you've got analytics and actually we're looking at all of them in some sense in the business and you know you use a different blend of those depending on where you are I'm particularly interested in this area of research and AI because a lot of people are talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning but you know drug discovery is one area where you can absolutely see it makes sense given the vast amounts of data that have to be dealt with. Um, so what are some of the issues or the, I guess, the things that have been thought of at the moment in um, So I won't go into too much details because you know, that part of our business is, is where the, uh, the unique <laughs> selling points come from. But um, we are, so if, if you look at the world from my perspective, from the infrastructure, one of the issues we have is the, the volumes of data we're moving around are vast. Yeah. And so, the scientists are saying, look, we haven't got enough power to do what we need to do, and it's taking too long, can you help? And of course, in order to do that, you have to make every point in the chain enabled to make the to make, to create that ability to move data around quickly. So the networks have to be good, the background networks have to be good, the storage has to be good, the replication between countries have to be good, um, and then they have to have enough processing power, either on their workstations or in the back end, for them to achieve what they need to achieve. In some cases, that processing power is temporary. They need to do a job and then take the results and do something. In other cases, they're constantly you know, reanalyzing things. What, what, what does the computation stack for AI look like? How does it differ to what you needed in the past? Well, that, at a very high level, we can now use processing power to churn through stuff that we just couldn't do in the past. Right. You know, there's enough volume. We can bring together data sets that we couldn't bring together before and do analytics on them that gives us results that potentially point us into new areas of science. And that's exactly what we are doing. We're bringing all the data into one place and we're, you know, we're gonna work out how we can leverage it. And then the AI allows you to work through things that humans would normally do at a much higher pace. So, you know, you can take, uh, take an image of someone's cancer and work out, take a, a bunch of scans and work out which, which ones have got tumors and which tumors are growing, which tumors are shrinking. Instead of doing that with, with humans, we potentially can do that with AI. And oncology is, is really a big area for this, because I guess in many ways the problem with curing cancer is cancer is not one disease, it's, it's, yeah. it's many diseases. And you're dealing with um, patients that have many individual conditions and individual genetic profiles. Uh, it's all about data. <laughs> it's all about data. And then when you look at the data from multiple different angles, you know, we've got years worth of data already from the work we've already done but the new potential sources of data are ever growing. So, you know, the, it's gonna be all about data. Right. Uh, in the past, um, I, you were mentioning before the shift from like kind of the wet lab to more electronics research. Can you talk a little bit about that? What, what are the differences in, in approach? Um, I, I'm, I'm not a scientist, so I, I can't give you the, the specifics, but the, the way it looks from, from my view of the world is... If you were a scientist, I probably wouldn't understand your explanation, so... Um, I'm fine with your version. Well, in, 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 a, in a wet lab sense, you run an experiment with some chemicals to see what results you get. And we can do that on a very high scale. Right. And, and you, based on the reactions 
some of those experiments react, some of them don't. Based on that data, it gives you signals on to where the, the new p potential th new therapy areas are, new molecules are. Whereas the, the, the logic in the data is you, you use the data sets you've got to you know, approximate that process. Um, and I think if you talk to some of our scientists, they're you know they're creating they're creating models that replicate the you know that replicate the actions of of uh, of, of some of the uh, you know some of the diseases. They're creating they're using data sources to point to find out which which places we can influence that disease. Uh, you know the, if you get even broader, there's a lot of data around the genome that we can start to leverage. So right. you know as we start to go towards personalized medicine. Yeah, exactly. So it is all about it is all about making use of the data that we've got and making sure that we can make sense of the new data that comes in. So, so looking at the, the other part of your business, which is obviously very important, which is the, the sort of the sales channel. How has you know your use of technology and your approach to digital platforms changed the the way you manage and um, I guess enable that you know that sales force? Well, so. There are, there's, a, there's some interesting dynamics here. So the expectation of our, our our customers, the doctors, is changing. You know, they most doctors now have got PCs in the surgery. They've got access to the internet. They you know they they're working much more electronically, and that means that their tolerance for uh, for the rep walking in the door and spending ten minutes detailing to them is lower. Uh, and then they want to consume you know more data electronically and and some of them do some of them don't you know there's a and depends which country of the world you're in on where that practice is but in those countries where we can do some of that connection to our doctors electronically we are doing yeah. so we're, we're starting to use um use you know essentially electronic webcam meetings to to connect to our doctors and one of the powerful ways of doing that is where you can take a key opinion leader um, maybe the global key opinion leader and provide an electronic meeting so pe so doctors in India can meet a, a key opinion leader they were never could have met before. Right. All right. So that's an interesting angle that we're we're, we're starting to experiment with. And, and, and that's actually been combined with a change I think a, a couple of years back in the way you incentivize people in the in, in the system because I, I think in the old days you used to pay the. You know, the, yeah. the providers. Yeah. We don't pay. You yeah. And you stop that now. Yeah, that's a change in the business model. There's two big changes in the business model. We don't incentivize our reps on sales anymore, and we don't incentivize, we don't pay for key opinion leaders to talk on our behalf anymore. We now have a medical department that, that are on staff that do that. Right. And so the digital channel has been essential to enable that, is it? Um, I, uh, I, well, I think it's, it's, helped, it's helped a new way of working. Um, but actually, the driver behind that change was more an ethical one. You know, it wasn't supposed. The digital one it, it allows us to make use of those people better. We can get them out to more places around the world, perhaps. But actually, the change was more was more ethical. The the the, the whole the whole ecosystem needs to be um, much cleaner, much clearer to our customers how that relationship works. So yes. that you know, you're when you're talking to someone from GSK, you know you're talking from someone GSK, and that, and they're working on behalf of the company. I guess in the old model, where salespeople were incentivized on the number of prescriptions that were that were written. Now you've got a model where they're being incentivized on the relationships. They're, they're, yeah, they're incentivized on their knowledge of our products. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and actually, with the, the very, very again, like I'm not, I'm not in the sales and marketing department. My job's around the infrastructure. But you know what I hear is that that hasn't that ha we expected that we were worried that it might damage our sales. Yeah. And and that isn't what we're seeing. 
So uh, you know, I think that's been a it's been a successful change, and ethically, it's very clear. It's you know, you, your reps are not incentivized on sales, so they're not incentivized to do things they shouldn't. What do you equip the sales reps with when they go out to the field? Yeah, so this is the other thing. So the 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 internally, the expectation of my customers, internal customers, the users, is changing rapidly. You know, we've all got iPads at home. We've all got uh, we all work on the Wi-Fi all the time. We don't expect to carry around this big brick of a PC anymore. And so the, the demand from the field force big, was pretty high. They didn't want to carry a, uh, a PC anymore. So we have a program we call One Device, which means we give you one device. You don't have a PC and an iPad. We just give you one, one, one iPad. And so what we've done is we've moved all of our systems to work in an iPad-only world. So the reps can function, do their whole job on, from an iPad, which means that they can do all of their work while they're out in the outside world, driving around visiting doctors rather than having to come home and do stuff on the PC when they get home. And it's been a really interesting program because it's really accelerated GSK's use of mobile across the whole business. Right. You know, we're, a lot of our major systems are in the cloud now. You know, we use Workday for HR, we're using um, Viva Salesforce for, um, for, S, uh, for our uh, um, CRM, we're using Office 365 for, for collaboration. So leveraging those three gave us a really good head start and then we've had to do a bit of work on some of the other systems to make those work work externally. Has, I mean there's been this sort of debate for some years now about whether or not iPads could be a true replacement for, for laptops but I mean you guys have dived straight into this so had there been any sort of teething pains with that? Um, it's a little early to tell I think we're, we're probably only a f- you know a few months into it realistically oh, right. yeah so, so it's, 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 it's it is relatively new right. uh, but I, I, I think I think the environment we're building for our reps, they really like because it, it, it's much better for them. They, they, they get an iPad, they can do everything in the car while they're traveling around. Of course, an iPad is much better device to use on the move than a PC, um, which means they don't have to do it all when they get home. Uh, and you know, they really like that. And has it changed the dynamics you know, of the way the office runs as well? Yeah, so the, that's a good question. The next set of people that we will do this one device kind of logic for, we might not call it one device next time, will be our executives. Because executives don't want to use PCs anymore. They're always in meetings and moving around the building all the time. Because um, I still so see they, a lot of, you know, we're, we're sitting in, in this beautifully designed office, but I still see lots of fixed screens. Yeah, yeah and, <laughs> and you know, for, for ergonomic reasons, we won't want to get anyone with bad backs, so we give them all screens. But, um, and very expensive uh, Herman Miller Aaron chairs. Uh, indeed, you want to look after everyone's backs. Um, but actually, our executives, and I'm one of them. I'm sitting here with my iPad. You know, we're 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 proactively moving the world to allow them to be able to use iPads more and more. And ninety percent of my job, because of that one device program for the reps and the cloud use of the cloud for for our core apps, I can do on the iPad now. The things that limit us actually for the executives are things like meeting room connectivity, where you want to, you want to, you know, we have to make sure all our meeting rooms are capable of connecting to those devices, and that's quite a big investment over time. Right. You mentioned that a number of the core enterprise programs you guys use now are all cloud-based, you know, Workday and uh, you know, CRM tools. So, how is this changing the way that IT functions now? Because in the old days, you mentioned that when you first started, I mean, the, the main job was basically installing Windows and probably running security patches every five minutes. So uh, now that you're moving to more cloud-based systems, what do you and your team spend most of your time thinking and, and worrying about? Uh, well, some of, it, some of it hasn't changed in that, you know, if I, if I talk to my head of collaboration services, 
were thinking about how do the tools all hang together? What's the end user experience like when you look at all of these tools together on the desktop? We still have to own that experience and how it all connects and how it works together, how they integrate, how they overlap. You know, we have to end up resolving problems when one doesn't work well with the other. So that I think is very similar. The back end of that, we have more people in the business now that are vendor experts, contract experts, how to manage how to manage and deal with suppliers. Of course, going to the cloud with something like Microsoft, yes, it's cloud, but it, you're still outsourcing that work to a supplier. So all of the old-fashioned outsourcing skills become even more important. Right. Um, and in some ways, they're more challenging because you've now got a supplier that says, well, we've got a standard contract offering. We're not going to change it for you. So you don't get that customer, that kind of customized service you used to get. But a lot of the skills are, are still to do with, you know, the contract management. Do you see automation in the next few years playing an even more significant role in, in your IT team? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. We're already doing it. I have a, I have a team in, inside the hosting organization, which is a set of programmers that do that do automation for us and you know we we use that ruthlessly to to, to drive efficiency across the function what, what, where, where is the low hanging fruit i mean where are the activities that you think in it will be completely handled by automation in the next few years so we're already automating everything to do with server builds server refreshes scripting all of that kind of stuff right. um you know we've got a fleet of thirteen thousand servers so we, we're automating all of that kind of stuff um we're starting to automate the same kind of things, interaction with with the cloud, with AWS, and and you know maybe onto Azure and some of the others over time. We're actually looking at uh, we're actually looking at GSK to use AI to provide a kind of automated help desk agent, oh, right. um, which uh, which which is brand new. We just released it, and that, and, and it's very interesting. I mean, you, we're using Watson to do kind of language recognition. So what we what we're doing is we're proactively moving our help desk support from a live phone call to chat. Our users really love the chatting element of help right. desk support. And so they wouldn't necessarily know that the person they're chatting to is No, 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 we're making sure they know. We, we, it's got a persona, we call it Kay, it's, it's, she's got a name, and, and we make it clear that it's an automated agent. But the process is the same, they chat to the agent. And then if the agent runs out of steam and doesn't know what to do, they can pass them over then to a, to a human. Right. Uh, and the intention is to make that agent more and more functional over time. So we use Watson to recognize what the customer wants, and then we can tell the agent what to do reliably as a result of understanding what the customer wants. So I'm really curious about this. Is the opening question always, have you checked whether it's plugged in? It, well, no, but, 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 <laughs> but what, what, the what are the early ones will be, have you turned it on and off again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great episode from you and that TV show, IT Crowd. Well, he, he, I, yeah. think, I think they just had it on a tape recorder. Yeah. Well, but I, you, but you joke. Actually, that's that's exactly why this might work because a lot of the things the help desk do are very repetitive and very simple. So this idea of you know asking them to reboot, that you know that's that's one of the common calls. You know, a very high percentage of our help desk calls are just people asking how to do stuff. So that we think the agent can handle handle all of that, and it must be interesting actually to be able to analyze those the data around those interactions over time, because you can start to build a picture of how you could potentially design a better process. Yeah, and we 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 have a fairly robust process for logging, you know, categorization of calls and data that the humans operate today. Right. What the automated agent does is makes that hundred percent repeatable. You know, the idea of a fully automated help desk agent that does exactly what you want to do at the right time every time is actually quite appealing. I suspect in reality it won't work that way. We'll see. 
so just some further issues around that. I mean, the, the old model, I guess, um, of outsourcing around help desk and things like that was just offshore it to India or some low-cost center. Um, I, I guess now that we have these sort of AI agents, it starts to put pressure on that traditional model of offshoring. Um, uh, yes. Uh, 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 where, uh, where, so we do offshore our help desks. Um, I don't think they're in India at the moment, but we do offshore them. Um, uh, you know, Philippines and places like that, you know, so we're still doing that. Um, and yes, what will happen is as we automate more, we'll end up with less people. Yes. Uh, you know, and eventually you'll get to the point where the number of people doesn't make it worthwhile making the effort of offshoring it, perhaps. But I, I, and we, we, cer we certainly haven't made the thought process of, okay, we'll bring them all back on onshore because we can use AI. We haven't got there yet. I guess the question then is if you, if you automate all of those tasks from you know, managing servers to provisioning to um, help desk, what, what is the best use of the people in the team? Um, so the, the people end up doing the stuff that you can't routinely processize systemize, systematize, whatever the right word is. Um, so, if, you know, what we've done so far is we've automated the really boring stuff that people don't actually don't like doing anyway. Um, you know, if you, if you have to repeatedly perform the same process on the server, it's a pretty boring piece of job. If you're answering the phone call and giving the same instructions time and time again each day, it's pretty boring. So that's the stuff we're taking out with the automation. And, and you know, that AI automation, by the way, I think will, GSK and many other companies, We'll end up applying it into financial approval processes, PL yeah. approvals, all of that. I think we'll get in there relatively quickly over the next couple of years. Um, but again, you're taking out the boring work. So what what can happen is the people who are on staff end up moving up to, to work, work on higher value. So what is that higher value work? What is the interesting stuff? Exploiting value from the infrastructure we've got. Um, you know, dealing with the more complex issues that that you know you need someone to use natural wit and repartee to get to the bottom of. Um, supporting the business in terms of exploiting the technology, uh, underpinning some of the digital agenda we started with, you know. So if I think about the number of people in my organisation who are focused on that agenda in R and D to provide infrastructure for them, I've got people working on that now, whereas you know six months ago they were you know they were on other things. So it, they get to move to be the more and and I do believe the digital agenda. People don't say this, but actually it makes the infrastructure even more important. You know, you can't have you can't have an exciting digital uh, experience without the back-end infrastructure working properly. If you think about Uber, yeah. it relies on the G GPS network, it relies on the telephone network, it relies on mobile phone standardization, it relies on the traffic network, it relies on cars. You know, all of those are standard things that have to work reliably. And in fact, it's a great example because a business like Uber could never have existed. Without all those standards. You know, without standing on the yeah. shoulders of all of those platforms and yeah. standards. So I think, it, if anything, the digital agenda puts more pressure on those infrastructure teams. Although it does raise the question, um, how much of that infrastructure can just be delivered as a service? I mean, will someone like AWS be able to just say to GSK, listen, we'll do all of that for X amount of dollars per month? Uh, yeah, and I, that's, we've gone back to the conversation we had earlier around the role of IT is to glue all those services together and make sure they're run reliably and safely, make sure that we're not giving out data in a way that we shouldn't, make sure we're not losing data, make sure that when the the US government comes asking for data, we're not giving it all away. You know, you've got, you've got a lot of work to, to provide underneath, you know, underneath the covers to, to make sure that it all stays secure and works together. You might have, we might, our industry may end up with, instead of the people who are running the operations inside EIS, inside my organization, 
working for GSK, they end up working for Amazon. Right. <laughs> yeah, so those people end up moving to Amazon um, and the people inside GSK are the ones that are managing the contracts and managing the suppliers and helping the business get the most value from them. But you always have to have, I really believe this, if I look at the contract we have with Microsoft, for example, we have to have people on my staff that understand the products, understand the technologies, understand Microsoft's infrastructure well enough to make sure we get the best out of it. So you have to have that technical expertise on your staff, otherwise you end up with the vendor dictating your agenda. This is this is a very interesting point you raise, and, and it's actually something that I've heard from a number of you know, leading technology companies as they look at the skills and capabilities of the people rather than the machines they have on their team. It's that sort of broad general knowledge of how all the pieces interconnect, which is becoming more and more valuable. Yep. In the old days, you'd hire a specialist who could just do that one thing. But now, because you're integrating so many different systems and, and, and people in the ecosystem, you need people who can sort of look across all of that and, and see the bigger picture. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think some of those specialists still exist, but they're now working for the, the vendors. Yes, exactly. You know, so, uh, but you know, we still need... I still need people who understand how the network traffic flows, and I need to understand what the impact of this latest version of Skype has on my network. You know, I, I, you still need those people who can join it together. So when, you, when you're looking to build your team in the next few years, what kind of uh, capabilities and mindsets of, of, of these sort of new uh, hires are you sort of start, starting to think about? Well, I, I think the, the technical leadership across my department is is has always been key but it's even more key you've got you know those senior technical leaders who understand how all of these components together and are able to um, think through how that technology agenda extends into the vendors and can visualize the whole ecosystem and create strategies that allow us to maximize the use of that ecosystem they become really important right and then beside them, you need someone who knows how to manage a service, who knows how you know how to how to get the best out of the vendors, how to provide a service to our internal customers, leveraging maybe three or four cloud vendors. So you, they're the two kind of job sets that I see that are going to be really key going forward. So we've talked a little bit about research, about sales and IT. The the final piece I think that we've missed out is manufacturing, and and this is an area where. I think you we highlighted up front that the Internet of Things and sensors is playing a bigger role. Could, could you talk a little bit about that? Um, obviously, the efficiency of our factories is key. And efficiency is uh, is both related to the speed of throughput, but also the um, the ability to make sure make sure we make product which is absolutely reliable and comes out the same way every time. I think you actually had McLaren come in a couple of years we, ago. We, uh, I don't know where, where we are with the partnership with McLaren, but we have had a partnership with McLaren, and that was about exactly that efficiency, that yeah. lean thinking, that real, real it's approach. It's amazing you think, like, what, what is a company that makes supercars doing um, teaching GSK about efficiency? But I guess there's some related issues there. Uh, I, I'll oversimplify it, and this is the way I oversimplify my brain. If you, look at, if you look at the fact that McLaren can now do a pit stop in, I don't know, two and a half seconds, they've done that by repeatedly removing waste from that that pit stop process and optimizing that process to be absolute absolutely you know as you know minimum waste in it as possible whether they talk about it that way i don't know but if you can take that kind of thinking to your manufacturing process you're going to so, get so potentially like you know resetting a production line it's almost like doing a pit stop 
Yeah, but it's more if you think about the end-to-end process of you know the the raw product comes in one end of the factory and the the, the you know the, the the powder that becomes the tablet goes out the other end. There's a really complex process in the middle. How do you optimize all of those bits of the process to make sure you're not waiting in in, in places or you're not um, you're not having to you know change the use of a of a particular piece of machinery all the time in the middle? This, this is the vision yeah. of the continuous flow manufacturing. Yeah, exactly, and. Uh, 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 and uh, you know, if you if you think about the the complex manufacturing process where you've got chemical reactions going on, you've got liquids to move around, solids to move around, you've got um, constant moving parts. The ability for us to put sensors in there it's actually not that dissimilar to a Formula One car. Yeah. Um, to, to to so we can manage and see how our process is working and, and make changes on the fly. And that, of course, all those sensors generate more data. We come back to the point about it's all about the data, right? So it's about getting that data into a place where you can use it. Well, I think we've come full circle here. Um, you know, it is all about the data, but more than that, it's how we can leverage that data to do amazing things. It's been a great privilege having you on the show. Uh, Adam, thank you very much. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.